This is Erica in Edmonton. Shannon in Durham. And Chip in Durham. Welcome to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 74, Atonement. Yes, welcome back, one and all, and thanks, as always, for joining us on this trip through our beloved sci-fi property, Babylon 5. This time, we get another episode with a relatively on-point title and a rather big reveal. So you guys, did did your jaws hit the floor when you discovered Delenn's part in the start of the Earthman Bari War, like, like mine did the first time? I honestly don't remember at the moment. I imagine that, on the one hand, yes, that was a surprise situation, but I think... By the time it got to the point of, you know, Dylan holding a dying Ducat or a dead Ducat in her arms and the other Mimbari running up and saying, you know, yours is the deciding vote. I'm, I was I think I was more like, oh, damn. Because <laughs> <laughs> at that point, you know. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I think that was my reaction. Yeah, um, I think I remember it feeling just a little... On the nose, maybe. Um, This is kind of a really dramatic turn, and it's a deep, dark secret that uh, sort of comes maybe out of nowhere, although we've always known that Delin is the sort of person who never tells you the whole truth, just like the Minbari are uh, generally stereotyped as, unless she's she's got a good reason. Um, So... uh, uh, you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a pretty melodramatic turn for Delin, but uh, the execution of that in the story is really really good, so I don't mind it too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definite thumbs yeah. up on the execution for sure. Agreed. All right. Well, why don't we why don't we dive in? Uh, jumping in with the what you need to know coming into this one, the Great War is over, and Babylon Five has had time to turn its attention back to the troubles with Earth. Mr. Garibaldi quit his job as security chief, Jakar lost an eye when he was tortured on Centauri Prime, and Mimbari Ambassador Delenn and Captain Sheridan are deeply in love, but haven't had a lot of time to explore their relationship. Oh, and way back before the series even started, Earth had a devastating war with the Mimbari. And that brings us to Atonement, in which Delenn must return to Minbar to convince her clan that she's taking a human mate for the right reasons. And we discover that not only did she cast the vote to start the Earth-Minbari war, but she's part human, and so are a bunch of other Minbari. In the end, she becomes a war bride of sorts, Zack gets a new uniform, Jakar gets a new eye, and Marcus and Steven take a roundabout journey to Mars. And it all ends on a song. So, <laughs> that's Atonement. <laughs> Uh, as much as I really would love to start by talking about the delightful song at the end, I feel like that's like a savory little little morsel that I want to I want to save. So <laughs> I, it, it's probably better to start in with the sort of the, the the big main plot. I mean, this isn't even like an A plot and a B plot. It's like an A plot and a, I don't know, F, F plot or something like that. <laughs> and a G plot, maybe even farther down the alphabet. I'm not sure. A, a, an A plot and a couple of like narrative nuggets. <laughs> Yeah, that's basically what it is. We actually yeah. have pretty much one story going on here, which I don't know felt a little bit a little bit different, but it did. to me it felt f- kind of fresh. Like it, it was a slightly different turn, different direction for the show, especially given the outtake during the the closing credits. It just it had a very different flavor to it overall, which I kind of enjoyed. Did it hit you guys the same way? I was thinking about this. Um, after watching the episode, because, you know, on the one hand, yes, it's it's much different from most of what we have been seeing from Babylon 5 
um, even all the way back to season one. We are used to the the A plot and the B plot. We are used to the story arc plot and something else. Um, and like you said, this focused so heavily on this situation with Delenn. And I was trying to figure out, you know, was this the right place for this? Was this, was this something that could have been done a couple episodes down? I, you know, kept sort of trying to wrangle it in my mind. And then looking at the Lurker's Guide, it was pointed out uh, that the way the Mimbari are reacting, or at least Delenn's clan chiefs are reacting to the possibility of, you know, how dare she mix her precious Mimbari DNA with some human, mirrors perfectly Illusion of Truth that we just finished watching, where the journalist creates this giant fabrication that Sheridan is this puppet of the Mimbari who are going to basically um, interbreed with humans and wipe out the human race as we know it. So after that was put forward, it seemed to fall into place a lot more. It's true. You know, it didn't even, I guess it didn't even occur to me that we had a nice little echo or, or mirror going on there from, from episode to episode. Uh, I just, I kind of just felt like the timing was fine for me in that we are, things are, I feel like they've slowed down a bit since we had that super frenetic rush to the climax oh, yeah. of the Shadow War. So I, I've enjoyed sort of taking each each episode to to attack something else, to to look at a different angle of things and... I, I mean, we have gotten so few primary bits of episodes on other planets, um, other than Centauri Prime. That's that's the only one that we really f- have focused on. I thought it was just kind of fun to be somewhere other than Babylon 5 for yeah. a great mm-hmm. part of it. I'll agree with that. Although, I, Erica, you're, you're, you're an old school Doctor Who fan. Did this mm-hmm. episode not feel CGI aside? Did it not feel like a Doctor Who episode? Uh, the Mimbari are... sets, it, it, it specifically the the it was it was talky. It felt like classic Doctor Who. You know, I did not actually put that together before, but now that you mention it, yeah, maybe the reason that I responded so positively to it <laughs> is because it does kind of feel like not not only classic Doctor Who, but my kind of classic Doctor Who, the kind that's my favorite, which is a lot of people standing around and talking about what's happening. And I know that's 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 not the most exciting thing for some people, but it is for me. I love it. Uh, and when we get to the Jakar part of things, there's another like very strong Doctor Who echo, which I'm sure wasn't on purpose, but but we'll talk about that as well. Yeah, but, um, but the, the, speaking, just thinking in terms of the sets, you know, the set design mm-hmm. looked kind of cheap on Minbar. Let's just uh, put it right it out there. It was Spartan, Chip. It was Spartan and spare. That's that's very Minbari to me. Mm-hmm. I'm nodding. I'm nodding at myself here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who I'll am I trying you, to convince? I'll let you continue to nod. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, and all the best, the best of classic Doctor Who uh, succeeded despite the production values, not because of them. And this was mm-hmm. this was kind of the same way. This is you're exactly right. This is a talky story. Parts of it are very very clearly done, you know, on a budget uh, and. That's just how this thing rolls. Uh, it's also the it's also sort of the pacing of it. The fact that it takes the time to sort of have these conversations. It's drama. It's not action adventure this time. I was just gonna say, I feel like that makes perfect sense for a story that happens on Minbar because the Minbari are not a hasty people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I think the other reason that it works in spite of the production values or in spite of being um, exposition heavy is because. 
I think there was some really, really great writing on JMS's part um, and some really, really great acting. I had forgotten how much I love Ducat. Oh, my God. As a character. Oh, yeah. I I had forgotten. He is just this incredibly compelling mix of certainty in his own authority and yet and yet there's enough humility in there here and there he you know he, he he's got a jokes. sense of humor he's, he's teaching yeah he's <laughs> yeah he's a membari with a sense of humor and that's hard to find i agree um but <laughs> but yeah he's such a a personality without abusing the fact that he is a personality and i just i have to congratulate jms on bringing him to life and coming up with the lines that are so memorable and so powerful that, you know, Delenn, his protege, she keeps using them, you know, 15, 10, 15 years later. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. she's still, you know, <laughs> quoting him and realizing his wisdom and being guided by it. And it, it was very, it was delightful to watch their interactions. Uh, it's it's yeah. so rare to have a character who is built up to be a great leader and to actually show up on the show as a great leader. Um mm-hmm. He is so well written, and Reiner Schoen does such a great job with the role. Um, it's the guy is so magnetic. I think part of it has to do with the fact that he's nine feet tall. Um, but, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but he's so underplayed. He 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 is so understated. He is, as you said, Shannon. He's just so he's supremely self confident, but. It's the self-confidence that comes with humility that doesn't attempt to disguise anything. Um, he is exactly who he says he is, and that's the kind of leader that I think uh, JMS considers to be, you know, the perfect kind of leader, the perfect, the the, the most genuine person in the room. Um, fantastic. I, and I think some credit here also needs to go to our director, who is, I believe, a first-timer to Babylon 5, but not a first-timer, but not a first-timer to American television by any means. No. Stephen was very surprised when the name Tony Dow came up on screen. He was like, Tony Dow? The the guy from Leave it to Beaver? The one who did the visual effects or something for the <laughs> Doctor Who TV movie? And I was like, yep. The very same. It was That's, that's Wally himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and Stephen was very impressed, impressed by it too. I mean, we we talked about how how there was a lot of standing around and talking about things, but but there's there's one part that this story really you know does the the show don't tell thing, and that is the fact that instead of having people stand around and talk about memories of what happened in the past, we get this concept of of the dreaming and the whisper gallery in so that we actually get to see what was happening, and and because of that, we get the great performance and the great lines from Ducat and another great performance actually from from Delenn who I mean mm-hmm. Mira Ferlan she moves differently her posture is different the way that she speaks I mean everything is just I mean she feels like a younger character which is a hard thing sometimes to pull off and especially I mean she's a very diminutive person especially standing next to him so it made her seem that much younger uh, but yes the direction that was one of the things that Steven said was that he thought that in the hands of a lesser director this story could have been very difficult for him to follow because we've got, you know, the, the Minbari and there's a little bit of sort of mysticism surrounding this, you know, the dreaming stuff um, and and all these flashbacks and kind of flipping back and forth in time. But Tony Dow keeps his hand on, on the rudder very well or on the whatever tiller and 
it, it makes sense. It's it's very clear what's happening when, and it is uh, it's a well constructed story. Talking about the uh, the reveal that we get during those those back in time scenes. Um, I mean, you already touched on this a little bit before before we jumped in here. I remember very strongly being I mean, I wasn't surprised at like the moment of the reveal when she said, you know, yes, kill them all. Well, actually, I was I I was a little bit surprised at the vehemence with which she mm-hmm. shouts, no mercy, no mercy. Um, but but just like you, Shannon, I was I already saw where things were going earlier on in the episode. But just that the, the whole episode, the whole reveal was was kind of shocking to me. And I agree with, with you, Chip, that it was a melodramatic turn. But I think that the fact that Babylon 5 is not afraid to mix some some good solid melodrama with their their space opera stuff is one of the things I like the best about this show. So for me, it was a really strong turning point for her character because so often TV shows make their characters just these you know perfect perfect people up on pedestals who make very small mistakes in one episode and then you know they're they're fixed by the end of it and they go mm-hmm. on to being perfect in the next one. Here we have all of these characters who are very three dimensional. And I think for the most part until this point, you know, Delenn has made her missteps here and there, especially with keeping information from others, Sheridan specifically. But here uh, (laughs) we get we get her making a choice like that for a very different reason than before. Mm -hmm. This is a personal reason. This is this is, you know, she she is in love with someone very deeply and she has the secret that could, you know, possibly, you know, quash the entire thing. And that's. That's a that's a a pretty big uh, um I guess moral misstep in a way perhaps that's that's different from what we've seen her do before and to me that that really sort of deepened her character and was you know like like that's a personal flaw we have not seen from this character mm. before and I I liked that yeah and in the lurker's guide seen? in the lurker's guide JMS asked a, when asked by a fan responded that Delin will never tell Delin will never tell Sheridan this there's no there's no profit to it. Hi honey, I uh, hi, hi honey. Uh yeah, by the way, I was the one who uh made the deciding vote about the whole war. Would you pass the sugar? Um that mm-hmm. she, that mm-hmm. she would this is uh this is who she is and this is who the Minbari are. Um if there is no benefit to telling Sheridan about this, why would she do that? Yeah, actually, that would be, I think that would be the most melodramatic and soap opera-y choice for her to make, to have, you know, a big tearful reveal where she comes clean and bears her soul. But, I mean, that would be a very selfish act because, I mean, as has been explored in plenty of media over the years, sometimes when you confess something like that, the only person that benefits is you because you get it off your chest. It actually Mm -hmm. just makes life crappy for everybody else around you. And that certainly doesn't seem like the Mimbari way and definitely not the Delenn way either. Yeah, it's certainly not the Mimbari way when it comes to the issues about how long human and Mimbari DNA have been mingling. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. That was that was a little bit of a surprise, too. And we yeah. finally get uh, we finally get a uh, wrapped up in a pretty bow the whole uh, Mimbari soul migration thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, maybe not a super pretty bow. It may not uh, you know totally line up with the uh, the with the original thought for but that storyline. But the fact but... that they that he provides a physical uh, option for for this, if there's you know human DNA in there, then you know that helps explain you know the melding of. Uh, physical and um, mystical, uh, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, 
I'm trying to remember at the time thinking, um, like when the Triluminary glowed. I think that was, you know, Ducat cuts his eyes to the counselors who are just like, oh, my God. And Mm -hmm. um, thinking, oh, okay, interesting to to think that that, as it turns out, that uh, Sinclair, of all people, is Delenn's many, many, many times removed grandfather. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that that just, you know, in, in retrospect, watching all of their interactions previously, you know, going back to watch the show again, you can be like, oh, look, she's talking to her great-grandpa. That's cute. <laughs> but she didn't really recognize that at the time. That's the other cool thing oh, no, no, about no. this. Yeah, yeah. Right. That, mm-hmm. that, that with one line, you are a child of Valen, the relationship between Sinclair and Delyn is completely recast. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, there was there was speculation early on that uh, that she and in, during the first season that she and Sinclair were moving toward a relationship, and this is basically JMS saying, "Oh, it's not like that at all." Luke's my brother. <laughs> moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, given you know the, when when Michael O'Hare had to um, had to leave the show and JMS had to scramble and uh, retool several things, um, I think this was. One of the things he did just to say, like, you know, there, maybe there was an underlying reason that the two of them um, meshed well and mm-hmm. that maybe this is it. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> you, t- you do talk like Ret- a Minbari. Ret- mm-hmm. uh, I, also, I also appreciated, uh, maybe it was needless exposition, but uh, they carefully walked us through uh, the history of the Triluminary. It came mm-hmm. from Epsilon Three, went back in time with Sinclair. Sinclair used it to transform. It was cued to Sinclair's DNA. And moving forward, uh, that lovely line when uh, Ducat talks about the how legend said it came from the distant past, but that it also came from the future. And there you go. B five mm-hmm. doesn't do much time travel, but when it does, it nails it. Makes it <laughs> makes it all fit. It, it, no yes. wibbly wobbly here. Ties it up nicely. And uh, and speaking of sort of tying it up nicely, I, I also liked the fact that we get a little bit of, of uh, you know, conclusion sort of to Sinclair's story. Because, you know, we knew he became Valen and he, he went back a thousand years and helped to help defeat the shadows. But like that was all we knew. And, and now we learn a little bit of the Minbari history of that, which, of course, has been hidden from most of the Minbari. Surprise, surprise. Minbari hiding something. Uh, but, but he never found the body. I know. That's 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 mm, interesting. But I like the fact that he went on to, you know, get married and have children. And they don't say anything in particular, but in my head canon, he he had a happy marriage and and mm-hmm. children. It wasn't like an arranged thing. And it's not the happiest that they actually had to flee from persecution. But but the idea that he procreated and, and, and was married is that that's kind of a nice thing to, uh, to for me as a as a little fangirl. I appreciate that. Indeed. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, anything else you guys want to talk about on the uh, on the Minbar side before we we jump to our our Earth problems and some of our more ridiculous plot lines? I did notice with a little frustration that all of the Minbari are apparently Caucasian. Yes, that was a mm-hmm. big room full, and uh, looking back, there was a heck of a controversy, which was ridiculous when Tim Russ was cast as a Vulcan in Star Trek Voyager. Oh, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. You know, this this is the mid-90s. 
Uh, but uh, at least it was at least it was her clan. So I mean, that's basically right. I, I took that to mean it was her family. So right. while you still could have had a few faces of color in there, certainly um, having having none is less than if it were an entire. You know, this is your uh, the the um, religious caste or something or like that, or the province, yeah, that you're from, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, then that was something that I found interesting. Uh, the fact that, you know, this is the Delenn who, um, chafed and disobeyed, uh, the Grey Council who did her own thing, who walked in there and broke the staff over her knee. And yet she's going to abide by what her clan says. That, and I'm trying to figure out if that's just a, a comment on something in Mimbari culture. We, we've seen this before in an episode that I can't remember the title of, but when Lanier um, and a member of his clan go against each other uh, just after Sheridan arrives on the station, and um, the other guy is trying to frame uh, Sheridan for a murder. Um, mm. So the, the clan dynamic, see, it's, it's really kind of interesting, the idea that clan over the public good or the um, government structure. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but um, it, that was one thing that just was just sort of p- pinging at me that, that didn't feel quite like Delenn to kowtow to her clan when there's been so many other things she's disregarded. Actually, one other thing that I did want to mention about that is just uh, it, about Sheridan and Delenn together uh, mm-hmm. before before she leaves. Oh, yes. Oh, oh yes. my God, the chemistry between those two actors. I was so just enraptured by that scene when Sheridan walks in and she opens the, the interior doors and is wearing mm-hmm. this gorgeous dress. And like his reaction was just, his face started glowing, but he also yeah. had that like deer caught in the headlights puppy dog look. And it was... <laughs> Oh my god, it was it was just wonderful. And then the way that he sort of deflates just a little bit cuz he's worried about her when she says she has to leave and it's just I mean this this is a couple who they have they've taken a, a big step in their relationship, but they're still they're still in the early stages of their relationship. They're still courting and that comes through and I just I loved that scene. It is so, so old-fashioned though. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it just hits me and I, and I know that that's part of its charm um in some ways, but in other ways it's just it doesn't strike me quite the same way because Sheridan's entry just feels a little cornball to me. And but that's Sheridan. <laughs> I know, I know, I know that's the point. I know that's the point. Have you met his dad? Come on. Uh, let's, let's, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. But uh, And then on the other side, Delin. I love Mira Furlan as an actress, but there is one sort of Delenn bit that she does that I never think that she totally nails, at least from my perspective, is the I'm hiding something and I'm upset about it kind of thing, where I think she overly plays those. The She's overly physical about it. You know, the, mm-hmm. the way she turns and uh, puts her finger to her lips and looks very, very troubled is very stagey to my mind and to my eyes. So that scene didn't work to me, for me quite as well as I would have wanted it to, with the exception that when she is clearly hiding something from Sheridan, uh, she says, I want this this evening, and I care about you, and, uh, you know, she's she's communicating everything she needs to. She's also made, making it fairly clear that there are some things that she can't and won't communicate to him, and he's bothered by that, 
but he lets it go anyway because you know, sort of un, uh, it, it it's left unsaid. But it's clearly like he is aware that she has boundaries and he's not going to poke at them. That's the best part of that scene for me. I disagree a bit with you, Chip, about how Mira Furlan played it. That scene had me riveted, um, not only but, but because the actor's body language throughout uh, the scene just resonated. Um, I think it felt right for me for Delenn to show that how much she was upset by this, because I get the feeling that she was remembering the last time that Sheridan realized she was holding something back. And it turned out to be Anna Sheridan for that sort of thing to show that she's still having to hold on to things. But the fact that Sheridan is, as you said, respecting the boundary and not pressing. And I think that makes her feel worse. So so for me, it worked. Yeah, you know, I Chip, I will agree a little bit that physically uh, she was overplaying the the actual body language and the movements uh, of her reactions. But I would say that she was she was overplaying those movements for a human. For a Minbari, she was spot on. So that's where I stand. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we I didn't like even. That. We speaking of which, we didn't even say that she's bald again in this episode. Oh yeah, because she's young. Oh, yeah, flashback. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> but isn't it nice to isn't it nice to see her like that again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and actually with, I think, better makeup than she actually had in the first season. So this well, is... Well, you know, the show's been going on a couple of years. Yeah. Oh, learned. absolutely. I just think <laughs> so. this, is the, this is the nicest bald we, we see her, which is... <laughs> it's, it's lovely. <laughs> all right. Now that I've got all that squee out, uh, are, we, are we ready to move on uh, to our Earth problems? Please. <laughs> all right. Um, so, yes, we the, the, the tiny little nuggets, as Shannon put that, I like it, uh, of... of B5-centered stuff and Earth-centered things is that Earth is still still a problem and becoming more of a problem because they're launching this propaganda war. And, you know, as we saw in Illusion of Truth, lots of fake news and, you know, it says if, if you repeat a big lie enough times, people will start to believe it. Huh, I wonder if that's actually true in the real world. Hmm. hmm. I tapped the side of my head. Um, but yeah, so in order to sort of strike back against that, they they need to get people in place and, and get a, a conduit of information running because they're kind of running blind at this point. They're being blocked on a lot of sides. So they need to send Stephen, a member of the command staff, uh, to Mars, and they send Marcus along as a bodyguard. And yeah, the I think my favorite part of that is is just before... They leave, and Stephen, being very Stephen, offers to ask some questions about Sheridan's dad, and Sheridan says no. How did that strike yeah. you? As you said, a very Stephen thing to do. That that mm-hmm. that is just so like Doctor Franklin to think um, of you know not just fulfill the mission. What else can be accomplished while I'm doing this? And um, and yeah, that it, it would occur to him and. It also feels right for Sheridan to tell him no for the reasons that he gave that um that they don't have my dad yet because they would they, they would be using him against me directly and I don't want to waste resources on a personal matter. Uh, it, it, this is I mean this is a leader who has just been through an intergalactic war and knows from preserving his resources. So it felt very natural to me. Yeah, I was I was very sort of touched by that and i mean it's i I like that sheridan is making the sort of the 
I don't want to say right choice because there certainly wouldn't be anything wrong with him wanting to find out what happened to his dad. But it's it's a, a choice from a position of power as to, you know, not abuse that power, uh, which is very nice to see a leader who's who's not going to, you know, make Babylon 5 a kleptocracy and, and do everything yep. that he has for his own gain. But on the other hand, he's also still being sort of the smart tactical thinker that Sheridan can be. Um, because, you know, if, if people start asking around and sniffing around about his dad, that there's a risk that, you know, if, if we actually sent somebody to Earth, Night Watch is all over the place, that would be bad. And also even just asking questions, I would assume um, any place that would maybe send up a red flag to anybody listening that, hey, there's, there's somebody who's interested in Babylon 5 type stuff hiding out on on Mars or wherever the questions are being asked. So so it's a, it's a two-sided thumbs up for me uh, on that decision from Sheridan. Um, and we'll talk about the song probably at the very, very end before you head to spoiler space. I feel like that's uh, <laughs> that's appropriate. Just <laughs> Not that there's a lot to say, just I just want to squee. Um, but uh, while we're thinking about <laughs> silly things, we have, we have Jakar getting a new eye and um, <laughs> complaining about it being the wrong color, which that's the other Doctor Who thing I wanted to mention. Uh, the, the classic series companion, Leela, played by Louise Jameson. Louise Jameson has... Uh, blue eyes but they wanted the character to have brown eyes because i don't know she's a savage and they thought brown eyes were more savage i'm not really sure what the uh, thought process was there (laughs) i know that's that's why i'm like shaking my head at this (sighs) but but they for her character they wanted her to have brown eyes so she wore these brown contacts um for the first bit of her run and she hated them because they were very uncomfortable so uh between two seasons she she made the decision like i'm not gonna stick around unless you let me use my my normal colored eyes so they threw in a plot device that she had looked into a very, very bright light and it changed the cones in her (laughs) eyes or something so that she was able to not have to wear those contacts anymore. And I've I've thought of that many times watching Babylon 5 and seeing all these actors who have these different contacts in their eyes. And I'm certain they're more comfortable now than they were, you know, back in in the 1970s. But they still have to be, that still has to be weird. So... Mm -hmm. The idea that Andreas Katsoulis got to not wear a contact lens, like one of the two, at least for this one episode, you know, they say that it's going to be, you know, he can tint it back later. Um, I, I, you know, that just the the fact that we get that now made me a think of of Doctor Who, and then b just be like, oh, you lucky guy, you get one eye free for a day. <laughs> I like that little scene. It doesn't do much to advance the plot, but uh, the joy in Andreas Katsoulis's performance—it's—it's it's there. It's—it's—it's it's, it's lovely. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was just going to say, there was one other Doctor Who touch there that Stephen loved because when you're seeing his point of view from his new eye, you know, it's a little staticky. It's—it looks like videotape, which is mm-hmm. what classic Doctor Who was often shot on. Um, and he was Stephen just loved that. He also then immediately when when uh, Jakar said. Um, Oh, it, it will work. It can work outside my body. Stephen was just like Chekhov's eye, <laughs> and, <it's just> like, <laughs> well, and then you know, and then nothing ever came of that. But I, I just thought that was funny that Stephen immediately thought that that's that's going to lead to something later in the episode. Mm-hmm. Hilarious. Speaking of light and fluffy and not really advancing the plot scenes, the bits with Susan today. Were <gasps> oh not, yes, they're, they're not <laughs> consequential in any way, shape, or form. But God, that was funny. She's still the Drazi leader. She's still the Drazi <laughs> leader. She's wearing the scarf, or one of the oh. scarves. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and... she dyed them all green, so. <laughs> yep, yep, that's true, that's true. Uh, oh. But that was, a, that was a lovely, funny callback, and then, uh, and, and then just stepping off of the elevator was just classic. 
classic. <laughs> oh, that was, yeah. Stephen Stephen quite loved that, too. And he really loved the fact that we never found out exactly what happened, that it was just right. a wild and crazy night, and and that is that is all we get to know. He was, and then he was she impressed. survived with mm-hmm. most of her limbs intact. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> although she's dying. using a cane. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty funny. Also, we have Zach getting a new uniform, which was, you know, it started out sort of being funny. And, you know, he's saying it's itchy and complaining about them in bar. Boy, Zach is tactless, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, and I actually kind of like that that JMS went there with that because mm-hmm. um, up to this point, we have seen Zach as an... <laughs> You know, an awfully good, if slightly awkward at times, person. I mean, you know, he's he's always been, you know, supportive of Garibaldi and trying to do the right thing and, you know, putting himself on the line to help um, take Babylon fi- by, back from Nightwatch. Um, and then, you know, being thrust into the role of security chief when Garibaldi steps down. Um, and it was kind, it was not pleasant, Mm-mm. but I felt it was helpful from a character standpoint to show that, you know, no, he's not perfect. Um, he's not perfect. He is still spouting without thinking some of the prejudices that, you know, that developed during the Earth Mimbari War. And then, you know, you get the opportunity for the seamstress to, you know, get her back, get him back at it for a little bit and for Lanier to agree with her in the wrong language. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I appreciate, I appreciate that scene. Yeah, it is. I think it's important to show that, you know, we mostly are seeing the command staff who are, you know, great big shining examples of good guys. But but yes, I mean, prejudices are, are things that are buried deep. If, if if that wasn't the case, Nightwatch would never have been able to get as far as they did on Babylon 5. And, you know, the Ministry of, of Truth or whatever it is um, would, wouldn't be able to, to get very far on Earth. But in this case, they can because there are these prejudices. And I think it's important to, to show that they do exist in our character. And, you know, Zach has been kind of a secondary character and until, you know, he was thrust into the spotlight by Garibaldi leaving. So it it, it does seem like a an easy place maybe to to put that on display. So it also worked for me. And then I thought the scene took kind of a nice touching turn toward the end that he just, right. you know, Lanier recognizes what's really going on. And and Zach is is just he, he doesn't want to be the chief because he doesn't feel like feel like he should be stepping into Garibaldi's shoes. Garibaldi should be the chief, and and he's convinced he's going to come back. I just thought that was very touching. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else before uh, before I do my last uh, Stephen check in, and we we you know talk about the song? Um, I continuity. Th- this episode took the opportunity to you know reestablish or throw back all kinds of continuity. Um, we, I think I mentioned earlier, maybe, uh, when Lanier tells Delenn, you know, I'm, I'm staying by your side, I am doing XYZ for fire, for storm. Those are quotes from the Membari religious ceremony in Parliament of Dreams. Uh, uh-huh. we, of course, we had Susan with the green scarf from her issues with the Drazi. They even threw in the line about the soul hunters coming, going all the way back to episode two, um, to remind us that, you know, the soul hunters gathered, they were hoping to get Dukat's soul, and the Mimbari literally just threw themselves in their way until until it couldn't be done anymore. So just to have all of that, it flowed. It flowed Mm -hmm. very well. We even got the the music from the Battle of the Line, which is, you know, it's... 
this episode feels like it's got tendrils connecting out all the way back to the three previous seasons. And I, I do appreciate that, especially since we haven't had a whole lot of Minbari stuff going on. And it's, it's nice to get reconnected to all of that. And there hasn't mm-hmm. been a lot of time for these callbacks because what we've been going through up until the last couple of episodes has been the finishing of a story arc. So like Chip said, it was nice to see those those tendrils sort of reestablished. Yep. Totally. Yeah, so to do this, the Steven check-in, he was... Uh, it, it's so fun to watch how into this show he gets. Like, when it first kicked off and we see a Minbari ship, he immediately said, that's a Minbari ship. Like, he's he is not only <laughs> recognizing what the different ships are, but he's proud of himself for the fact that he recognizes uh, what, what kind of ships they are. And then his delight when Zack gets, a, a, you know, an army of light uniform uh, was just... It was palpable. He was so excited for Zack to, to get that uniform. And... Because I think he's, you know, Stephen's always been been rooting for the, you know, security folks. I think he still misses Lou, but uh, but, <laughs> but yeah. So he was very happy about that, and and he just he really liked this episode. He said that. You know, as I said before, Tony Dow did a great job and might be a big part of the reason why he liked it, because it uh, it flowed very well and was it hung together nicely, despite having some kind of complicated timing and, and such. He he left the episode really not feeling great about Delenn. He's like, I don't know about this, this Delenn person. I don't trust her. <laughs> She's keeping truths from Sheridan all the time. And now the big one that she fudging started the war. He didn't say fudging. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like... Oh, yeah. Is everything okay? And she's like, yes, everything's fine. She is made of lies, he said. And he, <laughs> he's convinced. He's convinced that this is going to come back to haunt her. He said, Mark, you mark my words. So, so that is logical mm-hmm. thing, given what we've seen of the show so far. <laughs> yep. Yep. And he, um, I wouldn't say he's wrong at this point. Mm-hmm. And speaking of, of Dylan, he also kind of, uh, he said it was interesting, his reaction to the whole child of Valen thing, because he went from thinking it was literal, like, oh, my God, maybe she's actually literally a child of, like, you know, the, the daughter of Valen, to thinking it mm-hmm. was not literal, being some sort of, like, you know, spiritually a child of Valen, to being, oh, it actually is literal, it's just many, many generations removed. And that was kind of a neat thing that it was not exactly misdirection, but it, it felt a little bit like that. And, and at the end... I think a moment that he really, really, really loved was the song at the end. He, I mean, he was he was delighted by watching Stephen and Marcus <laughs> bantering back and forth, and Marcus playing with his fighting pike. But uh, but yes, then when he started singing, he was he was laughing. And as soon as it clicked over, you know, we, there's no commercial breaks on the DVDs, but it, it uh, you know faded out, and then came back with the credits. And it was Marcus singing still or again. He just big laugh, great big laugh at that point. <laughs> and then at the very end, he realizes it was an outtake because you actually hear the director, you know, saying cut. And he he laughed even harder. He's like, that was an outtake. That was hilarious. He's, he said it was it was so different. He really liked it because, well, first he said, so when is their road trip movie? Is that going to be the next episode? He wants, <laughs> he wants to see that. Um, but he said it's not often that any kind of show lets its guard down like that. That that's that's mm-hmm. kind of a rare thing when a show feels its its oats well enough to to be able to show that side of it. Um, and he just thought it was really amusing. So it was. How'd you how'd you guys like that bit? Oh, it was. I great. loved it. And but even even before that, one of my favorite lines in all of Babylon Five is, "Marcus, this conversation can only end in a gunshot." <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Uh, and then Marcus puts away the pike. <laughs> it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Mar- Marcus understands when he has pushed someone to their limits. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those those two characters just, they, they don't, haven't had a ton of time together throughout the course of Babylon 5. But every time they have, I've, I've yeah. really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just something about Marcus. Uh, Marcus is just one of those characters that just plays off almost any other character so well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to what is apparently going to be a long road trip, as you said. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I would I would totally watch that movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, before we jump a couple other things that we didn't mention, um, the Callan character, the, the actor mm-hmm. playing uh, the guy leading Delenn's clan. I was getting a whole lot of vibes of pastels at that point. You know, on the one hand, yeah, because on the one hand, he's trying to, you know, show his authority as clan leader, laying it out for Delenn. This is how it's going to be. And the minute she pushes back, he immediately starts sort of trying to soothe her or... Call, you know, call her down and, and, and point out, you know, that, that we're, we're not moving, but, you know, we understand your pain. We, we, we feel, you know, we feel bad about this. And then, of course, after the reveal, you know, that, yes, he knew all along, and yet he still tried to separate Delenn. And then he comes up with the, the perfect solution is to, you know, pretend that Delenn is a war bride and, and a gift to Sheridan as an apology. And just, I thought the actor did a really good job of conveying this little bit character um, with several different shades. So, yeah. And it, it turns out we're back to the Murder, She Wrote pipeline. Uh, both Brian Carpenter, who played this Callan character, and uh, Rainer Shen as Ducat. Both of them had Murder, She Wrote bits. Ah, uh, of course they did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's time to to assign homework. And that homework is the next episode, Racing Mars. So... So apparently they get one. there faster than we thought. Yeah, well, who knows? It's TV time. It could take a long time. But in the meantime, please join us on social media. On Twitter and Tumblr, we are at B5 Audio Guide. And on our website, b5audioguide.com, you'll find spoiler-free and spoilerific threads where you can discuss B5 to your heart's content with some of the finest minds in B5 fandom. And now, if you are new to Babylon 5 and you would like to remain unspoiled, please strap yourself into a cargo hold and sing yourself off somewhere else, because we're heading through a jump gate into spoiler space. I've just been waiting wow. this whole episode to say that. Wow. Because that's, wow. that's all I can think about this whole yeah. episode. Whenever I thought, okay, spoiler space, what will we talk about then? I just <laughs> kept banging my fists against my head metaphorically. <sighs> that's all I have to say about that. I have, I have, <laughs> wow. Yep. This was, this was a bit of an eye opener. Um, mm-hmm. We Me have too. had, we have had indications for ages that Lanier was actually going to be, become a problem. Uh, we have him telling Marcus with all the sincerity in the world that his love for Delind is a higher love. It's a more pure love. <laughs> um, we have his expression uh, in the crowd when Sheridan returns from Zahadum. When he says that he has pledged himself to Delenn and that he will follow her through all of the places from Parliament of Dreams, and the, the overriding feeling that I got was nice guy. And nice guy is not mm-hmm. a positive... I, I have seen so much in the last year or two about 
and, and and I am the I'm the kind of uh, I, I'm the kind of guy who was when I was in high school or when I was when I was younger, I was the sort of person who'd really do my best to be a nice guy and to be honorable and to and to pledge myself to people and things like that. And you see Lanier go through these gyrations and you see where Lanier is going to end up. And it's not about Delin. Or if it is about Delin, it's not about what he can give to her. It's about what he wants back from her. And that is just really, really uncomfortable to me right now. Yeah, I had a very similar experience because I, I think even back in some of our earlier episodes, I talked about how watching Babylon 5 my first couple of times through, it was really jarring seeing what happens with Lanier at the end and how he sort of makes that turn sort of. And now that I have lived a lot more and ex- experienced life, I I realized that, yeah, at, at that time when I was watching it, I had never actually known known any of those types of nice guys who end up, you know, being not so nice or doing things not for the right reasons. And boy, have I seen an awful lot of that, just like you have a chip. So I now that I'm watching this, I, I see, oh, yes, all of these seeds were planted very, very clearly. There are red flags left and right. I just didn't know enough about the way that the world worked and about the way people interact to actually recognize that those were red flags the first few times I watched this. And now, yep, yep, he is, he is very much, um, yeah, the nice guy, in quotes, who is who is so he 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 thinks he's devoted to her and he is devoted to his his picture of her his picture of of them together and the farther and farther reality gets away from what that picture is in his mind the more frustrated he gets and that's when you know we slowly come to realize and then very definitively realize that that yeah he was he was just living in his own dream world this whole time and that was what he was devoted to it wasn't actually the real delen and yeah uncomfortable that's a perfect word yeah. for it perfect. There is yeah, a exactly difference. there's a difference between trying to be a nice guy and trying to be a good person and mm-hmm. and and lanier has convinced himself that he's trying to be a good person but no he's trying to be a nice guy yeah, and Erica, I had the same reaction this time around that you did. Um, I don't remember it. I don't remember feeling that worried about Lanier um, through previous rewatches many, many years ago. But this time around, yeah, the, the minute he starts talking about um, my place is at your side and so forth, and I immediately my hackles rose. It's like, yeah, they're showing it here right now, and Bill Moomy is doing a hell of a job, Mm -hmm. a hell of a job, not just the scenes where he's speaking and, you know, supporting her and, and telling her, you know, no, it's not your fault. Um, trying to convince her that, you know, she does not have to hang on to this guilt, but, you know, uh, little scenes where he's in the background, um, the point where they're about to leave and Sheridan shows up real quick to say goodbye. And, or when he comes back, that's it. When 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 they arrive back and Sheridan's there to meet the ship. And Lanier is just immediately, like, you know, sort of stiff as a poker. And, and you know, you can see mentally he's pouting over it. <laughs> you know, not physically, but mentally he is, you know, very much unhappy that Sheridan is already back 
and in front of Delenn. And so he removes himself. I'll, I'll go see to our luggage. Um, you know, just Bill Moomy's posture, his, his facial expressions, all of these decisions he's making are clearly helping foreshadow what might be coming in the future. And even if he didn't, you know, and even at the time they didn't know because they still didn't know mm-hmm. if they were going to get another season. But still, you know, JMS must have clued him in enough to say, you know, Lanier's loves her a little too much. And Mumi is portraying that so well. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that I think that has sort of changed for me, well, not changed exactly, it's just that the first the first time through, I loved the first few times here. I mean, I still do love Nalir, but like oh, that yeah. very first time oh, yeah. watching Babylon 5, I was, I just, I really fell for him and he was one of my favorite characters. I just, I thought his, his, I thought his devotion really was pure and true. And at the end, when he basically betrays everyone, it, it felt like a betrayal of myself. Like as, as, as a viewer and as a big fan of his, I felt betrayed by the actions of that character. And now that I have lived so many more years and actually felt that kind of, you know, sort of betrayal in real life, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's 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 a thing that can happen. That yeah. is that is totally the way things can go down. But when you were watching it at, at the at the time when you first encountered this, did you reject his turn as bad writing or as uh, yep. just undermining the character? I totally did. I totally did because I didn't see how somebody who had been that, you know, uh, that much of a stand-up guy all the way along could could do something like that. And now I laugh at that thought. I laugh, ha, 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 ha. That's me laughing at that thought because, mm-hmm. yeah, that's... Yeah, that was that was very naive of of young yeah. Erica. I, I pat my old I, yeah. self on the head. It's all really it's it's all set up, and much of much of season five lays this on the table that uh, mm-hmm. Lanier leaves. Lanier goes into ranger training because he can't handle the fact that uh, Delenn and Sheridan are married, and he tells Delenn this, and so so it's all right out there out the open. So the big question for me is going to be when I watch his final episode and when when Sheridan is trapped and Lanier has the chance to save Sheridan and Lanier falters and runs away and then decides that he can't and he tries to come back but it's too late um you know is that moment going to be executed well in light of everything mm-hmm. that's come before mm-hmm. open question but it, there's, I yep. think that there's no question that all of the seeds have been planted. Exactly. Definitely. Yep. Just a question to see if they're, you know, watered well enough to uh, to blossom. Mm. I love my metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, let's let's turn to to something else, um, and that is something else we haven't gotten to, which is in the beginning, which is a TV movie we won't be covering for a while, but which harkens harkens to this episode quite a bit very much um, now this is something i don't know a ton about because i have not followed the uh the, the production of the show in the way that you guys have so chip can you fill in here a little bit oh absolutely the uh, in the beginning is a is the prequel movie we've discussed several times in uh spoiler space um and it, i still contend that for the most part it is the best entry point into babylon 5 for somebody who's just not going to take it on faith that they should power through um, if you if you need a good if you need a good sense of what Babylon Five will become in terms of quality, uh, I think you have to start with in the beginning and not the in, and not the gathering. But in the beginning was one of two TV movies that Turner Network Television TNT greenlit 
as part of uh, going forward with a new fifth season of Babylon 5. And I think, in part, as a cost-saving measure, it takes liberally from this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we will have new scenes with Ducat and, and and things like that, but it also takes the Battle of the Line sequences from this episode um, as well. Uh, so, um, and we'll also see Robin Atkin Downs again as uh, the, as the Grey Council guy. We will see Robin Atkins Downs <laughs> yeah. again. As yes. Well. yes, we will. He's yes. he's actually quite good as the Great Council guy. I have no problem with him there. He's fine. <laughs> no, it but, is good. Uh, it's good. One but I do the... have to say, I, I do have to say that I was surprised uh, before we recorded when you told me that it was uh, that, that in the beginning borrows scenes from this episode because for some reason in my head I had sort of had it flipped around and was thinking that they were concurrently filming or something. And in part because I felt like those scenes were really masterfully done. They were super well acted. They felt weighty and heavy, and that that might be because I have seen in the beginning and I, I know all of the surrounding weight that 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 is associated with it. But also, I think I need to credit Tony Dow and the performances of the characters because they did feel really, really epic. I thought, you know, in an outsized way compared to a, an episode of television. So bravo to everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, movies, this the second movie that TNT greenlit was Third Space, which we've also discussed in Spoiler Space. It aired, in the beginning, aired before the fifth season came to TV. Third Space aired midway during the fifth season on TNT. But in continuity terms, it pretty much slots in before this episode. Uh, you have to... Uh, you have to just sort of hand wave a little bit and assume that Zach has worn this uniform before, but is getting it adjusted. Um, <laughs> that's the, but that's the cleanest insert into the fourth season that third space can take. Yeah, that does make sense. I've got things to say about the children of Valen. Okay. Oh, okay. It's kind of nerdy. And it's kind you of don't a monologue. Say, Chip. Yeah. Um, look yeah. who you're talking to, dear. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of nerdy. So uh, it, it'll turn into a bit of a monologue. Shannon, if you've got other stuff uh, that you want to pull out from spoiler space before I, I get wound up, this might be a good time. <laughs> um, uh, not that I can immediately. Okay, campers, here we go. <laughs> Woo. Okay. Uh, so, Children of Valen. Um, JMS said online once that uh, uh, Valen never had children. Then this episode came out, and Shannon, what was it that uh, what was that they said on the lurk, the quote on the lurkers uh, guy? Something to the effect of "What's on air is canon." Uh, no one is going to be carrying these Usenet messages around in fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, they are. So anyway, yeah, JMS changed his mind and Valen had kids. With whom, might you ask? Well, I might. let me tell you who it might have been. Never clearly, never unambiguously stated, but uh, JMS did say on Usenet that uh, when Valen left with his kids, that there might have been a scandal involving uh, Valen's wife. Well, if we go to the sort of canonical uh, side media, and by that I mean the novel To Dream in the City of Sorrows, and the comic miniseries by DC, In Valen's Name, 
that was uh, done by JMS and Peter David. Catherine Sakai, remember her? Yep. Mm-hmm. So, in the story, in, in the backstory, uh, in the in the novel "To Dream in the City of Sorrows," which is the story of Sinclair after he left Babylon Five, um, you get the story that Catherine Sakai winds up getting a cryptic message from Sinclair, who wouldn't just sort of up and disappear on her. And she follows him to Minbar, and she ultimately decides to become a ranger. And towards the end of his time on Minbar, Sinclair, Sakai, and this other uh, ranger guy named uh, Marcus Cole, you might have heard of him, they go on a mission in some prototype craft that are intended to be the uh, vanguard of the upcoming White Star Fleet into Sector 14. Ooh. Oops. And they are destroying uh, some piece of shadow technology. If I recall correctly, it was a prelude to the uh, shadow's attempt to uh, thwart the Babylon 4 uh, mission. And... Sakai falls through the rift. Hmm. Sinclair's not at all happy about this. Towards the end of the novel, Sinclair asks Kosh, who is on uh, who, who is on Minbar, if he has any hope at all of ever finding Catherine again. And Kosh leaves the room, but just as the door closes, says, "Perhaps." Ooh. Also at the end, <laughs> also at the end of that book, Marcus gets a note from Sinclair slash Valen in the past, just in the same way that Sinclair and Delenn did. No way to tell when the note itself is written. It says, From both of us, our thanks and friendship, continue to dream that better future where perhaps we'll meet again. From both of us. And then <laughs> the last clue, the DC Comics miniseries in Valen's name, where as part of the storyline, our, our current day heroes discover the wreckage of Babylon 4. They also find Valen's last recording on Babylon 4, and they hear Valen say, and as for me, I've received my own reward because I found her. At long last, I've found her. (sighs) It is entirely possible that, possibly with the aid of a chrysalis machine or possibly even more uh, scandalously, it's possible that Valen's wife was, in fact, Carolyn Sakai, and there was oh a God. lot of and there was a lot of human <laughs> DNA running around there. Wow! Oh, love it. The, the happy the happy ending is so much happier now. I am accepting this <laughs> headcanon one hundred and fifty two percent. Now, now that that may be that I may be overstating it. I don't recall if uh, JMS was ever even even more explicit in other sources. It could have been that Valen married and lost a Minbari spouse, and then and had kids with her, and then found Carolyn Catherine Sakai. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Who knows? But it it's pretty damn can- canonical that Valen found Catherine Sakai at some mm-hmm. point in the past. Really, that's the most important thing to me. Like, I, I'm I'm perfectly happy for him if he had children with some Mimbari woman and then lost her. As long as he eventually found Catherine. Oh, my heart, my heart, you guys. <laughs> the one downside, the one downside to that entire thing is that. It actually, there, and I do remember this line from the book, 
that uh, one of uh, one of Sinclair's last conversations with Marcus before Marcus leaves uh, Minbar and goes to the Drazi colony and other stuff is that uh, Sinclair tells Marcus that sometimes you'll have to do things for your own motivations, not necessarily for what other people believe of them. Um, so I think that that makes the self-sacrifice arc of Sinclair going back in time to become Valen not necessarily as pure as portrayed in the TV series, because maybe he was just going back to try to find Catherine. I prefer to think of him as mm-hmm. going back to become Valen because that's the right thing to do. And oh, by the way, there she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah, I think it can be both. Totally. Yeah. And as you were talking, Chip, I pulled up um, instead of the Lurker's Guide, I went to try uh, Babylon5Wikia.com just to see. And we have something of uh, that uh this comes from i believe to dream in the city of sorrows no the from the comic um as originally printed the message mentions catherine as if she might be one of those reading the message however according to jms this was a typo that slipped past and sakai is indeed the one valen found in the past so Ooh. there we go hurrah Oh, this is all right. Please tell me that you don't have any anything else to say, because I really just want to end <laughs> on that happy, happy thought. Don't, uh, don't give me anything. To, don't give I, me anything to cry about here. I didn't have anything else. I was going to bring up uh, the uh, casting of Robin Atkin Downs, but Chip beat me to that. That was mm-hmm. the only other thing I had that was spoiler space related. From no we'll hair to plenty. lots of hair. From no hair to lots of hair. <laughs> hey, we'll he's plenty versatile. to say about him later. Mm hmm. <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 get our jabs in later. I'm sure, um, like yeah. the Minbari did to Zach. I, I I don't know. I, I I don't think I can be as mean. I mean, Robin Atkin Downs is uh, doing voice acting on my current obsession of Voltron, so I'm I'm not going to be mean to him. <laughs> I'll watch the show. I, I may have a lot to say about Byron, but I'm not going to be mean about Robin Atkin Downs. Well, yeah, not him. <laughs> All right. Well. That was that was that was wonderful. Thank you so much, Chip, for for filling in my knowledge of the, the Babylon Five larger canon. I always appreciate that. And I live to lecture. Some, yeah, at some point, <laughs> you're very good at it. At some point, I uh, I may go back and and uh, consume all of this extra media. Probably when we're done with everything else, then I'll and then I'll be jonesing for more Babylon Five stuff, and that will be the time when I dip into these things. So something to look forward to. And as always, thank you also for listening. You guys, we love it to have you along with us on this journey. Um, I hope that uh, that those of you that didn't already know about that awesome stuff from Chip were as delighted by it as I was. And definitely please join us next time when Shannon leads us through Racing Mars. Looking forward to that one. Until then, this is Erica in Edmonton. Shannon in Durham. Chip in Durham. I'm sorry. I've talked a lot today. <laughs> <laughs> And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. Lozenge. Lozenge.